the Fret Dojo podcast, the place where pro guitar players share their secrets. Visit www.fretdojo.com to access online courses and free resources to take your guitar playing to the next level. Hello and welcome. My name is Greg O'Rourke. I'm the lead instructor at fretdojo.com. I also have with me on the call today my fabulous assistant instructor, Vin Amarando. And today we have a very special guest for you on this podcast. So Cheryl Bailey, or as in Australia, um, apparently she's been named Bales by, uh, as a nickname by um, uh, my, my Australian colleagues. So Cheryl has been described as one of the top players in an emerging generation of jazz guitarists by Vintage Guitar Magazine, among the best bop guitar players by Just Jazz Guitar, and one of the new greats of her chosen instrument by Philip Booth of Downbeat Magazine. Cheryl got her start on the guitar at age 13, attended Berklee College of Music, from which she holds a Bachelor's of Music degree. She won third place in the Thelonious Monk International Jazz Guitar Competition in 1995 and was chosen by the US State Department as a jazz ambassador for a South American tour in year 2000. Cheryl has nine CDs out under her name and has played with a who's who of modern jazz guitar greats such as Frank Vignola, Howard Alden, Kim Playfield and many, many more. Well, I feel like there's so many credits here. Maybe we'll have to <laughs> To do an edit here, Vin. I, I don't know, but uh, yeah, the, the uh, we, we, I think we well, I actually crunched this down. About the, you crunched this down. Wow, this is intense. Uh, Cheryl is also one of the leading jazz guitar instructors in the space today. She's a professor and assistant chair of the guitar department at Berklee College of Music, where Vin studied as well, and a professor at the Collective in New York. Uh, Cheryl's the author of the book Movable Shapes Concepts for Reharmonizing 251s, published by Mel Bay as well as several top-selling video courses on platforms such as Truefire, Jamplay, Mike's Masterclasses, and others. Phew! So, needless to say, <laughs> we feel privileged and thrilled to have her with us today. So, welcome very much to the Fret Dojo podcast, Cheryl Bailey. Hey, thank you, guys. Welcome, and Cheryl. Wow, I need to update that bio because actually my 12th release just came out this summer. Oh, oh there you okay. go. And, and actually, the organ trio is starting our 21st year together as a band. So I'm, that's note to self to update my bio. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, oh, Cheryl, well, maybe what we'll do is we're going to um, start start at the beginning. So uh, do, do you want to uh, sort of, for, for the audience, um, tell a bit about yourself, you know, how you got started with uh, guitar, but particularly with jazz guitar, uh, you know, because, um, you, you know, I, I think it's fantastic to have uh, female representation of jazz, uh, of, of jazz guitar, which um, uh, needs to be a bit more, I think, or at least acknowledged more. But where, where, did, uh, where did it all start for you? Well... I actually came from a family of professional musicians and actually all, it was all the women were church organists and phenomenal musicians. And the funny thing is when we were all kids, my, uh, I was the youngest and my brother, my sisters, we all had to take piano lessons and I was a horrible student. I was, I liked to play the, I liked some of the Bach pieces and some of the minor key stuff. But if, I mean, I was thinking if my piano teacher were alive today, she would just be in shock at where I am. <laughs> like I was a professional musician. But, and and I think maybe for many reasons, maybe I was rebellious. Maybe I just, you know, was very willful. I wanted to play electric guitar and I wanted to play rock music. So I got, I begged my mother for a guitar from 
I don't know, you know, it was called JC Penny catalog. Oh yeah. And I got this harmony strat was a little set, you know, kit. And, uh, and then, you know, very quickly I started my own band, my kind of basement bands. And then I was playing in bars when I was 15. Like, I guess what you call classic rock now and Southern rock and heavy metal. I loved, I was a shredder. And sometime around that time, there was a little independent radio station that had played bebop. And I heard Sonny Rollins and I heard Charlie Parker. And I was, I didn't know what I was hearing. It blew me away and I was curious about it. And also <laughs> I wasn't doing it well in school cause I was playing in clubs and stuff. So my mother and my mother said, you know, like you got to get it together. Uh, and I said, well, I'm just going to be a musician. She said, well, then you have to study. You can go to music school. I was like, Ooh, okay. All right. So it was sort of a uh, perfect timing. Cause I started to hear this music and she connected me with um, in Pittsburgh areas where I'm from. There's a whole kind of actually an amazing jazz guitar tradition in Pittsburgh. Um, Pennsylvania for anybody not in the U S but um and uh, I met a, a teacher, John Mayone, who taught at University of Pitt. And that's how I saw Tal Farlow was the like the real first mm. jazz guitarist I ever saw. So I was probably about 15 years old. Um, he came out of retirement and it was um, mind blowing. And that was sort of it. But I was still, you know, I was just still on the shredding. I still, if you hear any of the stuff I do with the Not Cohen or any people like that, I still use that facility and sounds. I I just love great guitar playing. It's not genre based, but I do love to swing. I love swing and I love that language. So, um, yeah, then I spent a year in Pittsburgh at Duquesne University, which had a great, still has a very great jazz guitar program. Joe Negri is the sort of the, well, Jimmy Ponder, of course, George Benson, and Joe Negri, who was on uh, children's TV in the United States and was a local TV personality in Pittsburgh. So through all those people, there were a lot of great, I used to see Ella come through Pittsburgh when I was a kid and Joe Pass and I heard Herb Ellis and I heard Count Basie. I mean, there was at the time, you know, all those folks were really coming through Pittsburgh and I was just eating it up. So then I went to, to Berkeley uh, after a year at, at, in Pittsburgh. I went to Berkeley. And uh, so that's wow. kind of the basic beginnings of. <laughs> yeah, so you, 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 you were kind of like swimming in the ocean of uh, amazing music, it sounds like through through those years. Yeah. And also, you know, my mother was, it was incredible, had incredible, was a great pianist. And so I was, yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, you know, we had pianos and everyone played and I'd go to my friend's house and they didn't have a piano and I couldn't wrap my head around it. I was like, what do they do for fun? You know, we were like a musical theater family and we played together. You know, maybe at the time when I was a teenager, I thought it was kind of corny. But not, when I look back, it was a really beautiful thing that we did together as a family to sing all the songs from South Pacific or, you know, uh, the sound of music or something as a family. It was it was it was a beautiful thing. That's really interesting you say that. Um, uh, I had the great pleasure of studying composition for a while with uh, Glenn Jordan. Uh, he did a number of film scores, but he was connected with Spud Murphy, the great uh, arranger of the Benny Goodman um, uh, lineup. And uh, Spud said something very interesting to Glenn once, which was, you know, um, uh, or, or no, maybe it was Glenn that was saying he, he thought the reason there were so many great musicians 
back in those days was because they really didn't have much television or sort of other media to kind of just sit there and distract people all day. They, they had to find ways to entertain themselves, um, but beyond, beyond just kind of getting spoon-fed things off the television, you know? Yeah, well, you know, it blew my mind, actually, when I went to college and I had to be in the Madrigal Choir, and that music was so difficult. And they were like, yeah, this was like, you know, people's music. They would get together and sing that stuff. I was like, okay, we're, we must be heading towards stupidity because <laughs> this is incredibly complex music. <laughs> yeah. Very interesting, Cheryl. So, um, so obviously now you're, you're one of the, you know, the most highly acclaimed jazz guitarist of the present day. So, um, you know, what What do you think has made, well, uh, this is what Vin's put on these questions, well, right? And, and but I, I believe it as well. <laughs> so uh, uh, what, what do you think has made you uh, really exceptional, you know, like at the top of uh, the top of the game in terms of jazz guitar? Like what, what do you think has been those key ingredients or connections or influences that has mm. made made you into what you are today? Well, that, well, you know, it. I love practicing. I practice a lot. I've studied a lot. Uh, you know, I've when I was particularly as a Berkeley student, I transcribed stacks of stuff. Um, and so there's that thing, the discipline of study, but also playing with others and playing with people that are better than you. You know, it's, it's sort of a if you want to get good at a game, you have to play it. I, hey, I want to be a great basketball player. If all you do is just sit and dribble with yourself, that's a part of it, but that's not really the game and developing how to play the game. So I think that's the other thing. There's It's balancing those things between study and and learning about the, the technical aspects of whatever instrument you play, but then playing it with others. So actually what your friend was saying about it being a contact sport is so important in terms of growth and how you develop and how you learn is you have to play with others and for others also, you know what I mean? Like the feel, the really, those kind of moments when you're playing, I'm thinking about actually I had a, played guitar night last night with Frank Vignola and Pasquale Grasso at Birdland. So, you know, Wednesday nights, New York City, go to Birdland. But that experience of that intimate way that we were all playing with the audience involved is so powerful. So it's all those aspects, playing together with others and playing together with others for others will make you grow and become a great player over time. So, I mean, easier said than done. Obviously we have to deal with our own fear and own uh, inner voices that keep us from, first of all, even just the first part of having the discipline to sit down and study and work on our thing. And then all the voices and doubt and stuff that make it scary or to play with others, like to play with people that are better than you. Right. So that, you know, that's, we could talk about that too, but you know, all that's fascinating. Just the whole process of, developing musicianship i th i think um that's something that holds a lot of jazz aspiring jazz guitarists back or jazz players in general is that sort of um fear they're not good enough you know or mm. or, or, or in terms of crossing the barrier and and sometimes it 
it kind of is reinforced if you go to a jazz session and there's people that are kind of flexing on your bit and sort of thing, <laughs> you, you know, you know, trying to kind of vibe you out that, you know, like, have you, have you ever sort of or yourself or your students experienced those situations? What, what would you say would be the best way to, to navigate that kind of circumstance? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that, that is difficult. I mean, things are changing. I think a lot. I think people are consciously trying to create spaces to play together that, you know, are for vibe free, but you know, it's going to happen. Um, you know, I don't know. I would say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That's yes. kind of the philosophy of living. Sink in or swim, right? yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and there is something about that because you do need a lot of strength and I don't want to, I want to say ego, but I don't mean that in an obnoxious way, but you have to, be, you have to develop that ability. Well, my colleague, David Tronzo, Professor David Tronzo, always says, who's my favorite guitarist? Me. If you don't have that forefront, then why is it, why are you going to take care of yourself and take care of all those things and put yourself in those situations? But I guess, you know, not to be, I'm not talking like big ego, like arrogance kind of thing, but like a, a strength that you have to develop in yourself. Exactly. Uh, it, was, it was interesting. Um, I think I've, uh, I've read or seen an interview with Pat Metheny when he was saying something like, um, you know, what's the, what's the main thing he thinks about, uh, you know, after he does an amazing concert or, or any, and he says, well, you know, I sit there and go, man, I really need to do some more practice. You know? <laughs> so, so I think uh, it's sort of that, that sort of uh, feeling of, um, you know, needing things to be better affects all musicians at all levels, you know, it kind of, to a degree, I don't think it goes away. But as you say, you really need that self confidence to be able to get yourself out there, you know? Yeah, I think it's a balance. I mean, you need that honest, I guess that learning to not be object. It's I've given up being objective on my playing. And in some ways it's made me objective. Like I don't take it personally. And I sometimes just listen like to myself, if I'm, you know, analyzing a recording and just listen to it as if I'm listening to someone else, not personally that. And I think that's important to be able to separate yourself so you can go, Hey, I have these weaknesses. I mean, everybody has weaknesses, even Pat Metheny, he knows what he perceives as his weaknesses or else he wouldn't keep practicing. Right. He just, hanging on the wall say hey mm. i'm it i did it true <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, well, let, let's let's kind of think. Uh, I'm going a bit off script here, Vin, but uh, while we're on this topic, I'm thinking when you're um, uh, let, let's say you have a student, Cheryl, and you're trying to get them to encourage to get out there a bit more and, and play. Like, what would what advice would you give to them to prepare, say, for not mm. not maybe a big concert or anything like that, but just going down to a local jam session or something? Like, how would one prepare themselves for that? That's a great question. You know, first thing I always say is just go to the jam session a couple times and observe it. See what tunes they play. Cause you always find certain groups of people call certain tunes and in certain cities call. So, you know, there's just like a repertoire. So find out what tunes that they commonly play, find out who, you know, just observe who's the leader and kind of check out the vibe. Does it seem friendly or is it vibey? Because if you want to go and it is vibey, just set yourself up for that. Like, don't take it personally. There's nothing personal about you. That's just the way these people are carrying on. Um, but I think the main thing is find out what tunes to to know, to come and be prepared so that when you get your chance to sit in, you know, you're not freaking out because, oh, my God, they called 
this head and I don't know it. So I, I think that's one. And, and maybe just get to know the people a little bit and they get to see you. So you start that relationship. So I think when you get to that chance to finally get on the bandstand, you'll feel a little bit more at home there. Yeah, it's 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 like sort of classic classic networking techniques, isn't it? Really, like you know, so firstly you need to get visible, and then once you're visible for a while in a group, then you get credible, and then you you start to be able to kind of really make some great music and sit in and all that sort of thing. But for, you, you can't just sort of go in cold, like because you know that you're going into people's space. You got to kind of you got to you got to warm up a bit, isn't it? Yeah, and to see yeah to see how they. You know, sometimes some jam sessions, you know, they make you sign a list and they'll just go down the list. Sometimes they just call people up, you know, just see the vibe and the feeling of it. But but definitely find out, oh, yeah, they like to play all the things you are. They like to play, uh, you know, st stable mates or they like to play Donna Lee or they like, you know, find out what ballads they like to play. And then you'll feel, OK, I'm going to learn those so I can have something to play when I show up. No, fantastic. Great advice. Uh, so, uh, Vin, do you have any other questions on that on that topic? Uh, not not on that particular topic. I've got a couple. I'm kind of waiting yeah, to throw in it, there. Well, um, I know, Cheryl, in uh, 2010, you had the tribute, um, Emily Remler, tribute CD. Oh, yeah. Can you tell us how yeah. that came about? Ah, well, that's interesting. You know, actually, I was playing at the 55 Bar with my band and Marty Ashby, who's the producer at mcg jazz which is a pittsburgh label believe it or not but marty's a fantastic grammy award-winning award -winning producer and, and guitarist and he was in new york and he popped in and he heard us play and then he came up to me after the set and i i know, knew who he was it was the first time we met and he said oh yeah i want to i want to do something with you and i was like sure great let's do it and uh fast forward maybe it took another year i didn't hear from him and then he brought me out to pittsburgh to uh, play a festival and then we sat down and met um about what to do and um he was very close with emily he and his brother um jay ashby who plays that incredible trombone solo on um, emily's tune east to west and um if you if you stare, anyone gets the cd there's a picture of me next to this big oil painting of Emily and that was on Marty's wall right behind him and we were sitting like what should we do for this record I looked up and I said why don't we do something for Emily and he just lit up and that was like oh that's what we're gonna do so that's but but I guess that's sort of also the story about you never know who's listening at a gig sure. <laughs> yeah, well on that um I was reading uh, an article I believe it was Jazz Times and it was about this uh, tribute CD and your, yourself and mentioned that you had actually met Emily and had taken a lesson from her. Mm -hmm. yes, I'd like I to hear when about I, that. Yeah. Well, you know, I actually even have the, the paper that she wrote on, which I share with my students all the time. She was in Pittsburgh. Well, that's how Marty got to know her. And, and she was very instrumental in Marty getting the gig at MCG Jazz. So it's just this funny, weird little connection. It was my first year at Berkeley and uh, David Budway, who's an amazing, amazing pianist and he's a Pittsburgh guy, calls me at spring break and he said, hey, Emily's in town. Here's her number, call her up for a lesson. And I did and you know, it was, it was cool. She was a great teacher. I mean, she was a great player. She was a great composer. She was a great teacher. And um, 
I have all the sheets and I use everything she taught me every freaking day. I mean, really everything. And I use everything she taught me with all my students. And we just hung out and she was super cool. Like she wasn't like looking at her clock, like, oh, kid, you know, you ah, come on. She was like, hey, let's play and let's play. And we hung out and played all afternoon. She was so giving and just uh, it was a really positive experience. Very cool. She, she came to play at Berkeley just right after that. So if you can find it on YouTube, which blew my mind because there was me and my friend Evelyn were the only two women studying guitar at Berkeley. And Emily came and it was a concert and she played her freaking butt off with uh, Sko, Mick Goodrick, and John Abercrombie. You can find it on YouTube, it's a little grainy, but I was at that concert and she was on fire. And then, you know, she was off drugs. She was, and then she passed a couple months after that. Wow. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's very tragic what happened there. You know, a, a career cut short, a life cut short. But um, yes. you know, sort of sort of carrying that flame forward, Cheryl. Uh, you know, I, I'd be interested to del delve a little bit into what it's like being a female jazz guitarist in this space. Uh, you, you know, which is uh, predominant uh, predominantly featuring men. Um, so so how how have you found? to negotiate that has it been an issue or or not really like like what, what what's been your experience as a woman in jazz guitar well you know first of all gender is all big topic these days right i'm kind of always <laughs> believed i don't really attach myself to gender i actually kind of dig these people that call themselves they i mean i kind of like like i'm not being a woman what the hell does that mean what does it mean it means something more maybe to other people than to me. I have to pick up the guitar and play it my best. And I've always said, there's only one list. There's not the best women guitar. There's one list. Either you can play or you can't. And that's all I've ever cared about. So I have rarely spoken about it because of that. Because to me, personally, my experience doesn't mean anything. It, it means more to other people have issues with it. And yes, I'm sure, and I know there are many people that did not call me because they didn't understand. But I can't worry about that, can I? I have to play my guitar right now and make it sound great. So that's my experience with it. Flash forward, having told you that I was one of two women at Berkeley to be the assistant chair of the guitar department at Berkeley with my chair who is, a is also a woman that irony is not lost on me every day. And I do appreciate it more in terms of that representation. Now we have probably, maybe we're up to 10% female, uh, you know, young women in our program. So I do, I do appreciate that representation makes people feel in terms of other young women coming into play, makes them feel welcome in a welcome space. To me personally, playing the guitar, it's the same. I have the same struggles and problems that you guys have. Exactly. Where's A flat? <laughs> oh, this tempo. What's the melody to this song? It's just to me, human. I'm more of a humanist than I see the world as just humanity than these categories. But that's just me. Uh, well said, well said, completely agree. So um, no, th thank you for sharing that, Cheryl. Uh, so, well, let, let's talk a little bit, um, you know, about, um, you know, your experience as a teacher now, 
you, you know, as you mentioned, you, you're the assistant chair at Berkeley. Um, what what do you think are the most important things for jazz guitar students in terms of what they do day to day in their practice session? Like, let's say mm. you had, and let's really take it back. Like, I know you probably wouldn't work with many students like this all the way at the start of, of their no, jazz I journey. Love, I love that. I oh, love you love that? Students. Oh, there you go. I love it. I love the, actually, those are some of my favorite students, to be honest. Oh, well, there you go. Well, well, this is a particularly good question for you then. So let, let's take one of those students um, starting from scratch. What would be their logical progression of exercises or, you know, the core fretboard knowledge, things like that, when it comes to learning jazz guitar specifically? What, what journey would you take them on? Yeah, well, I mean, there are many things about playing the guitar that are not genre specific. Musicianship, right? So whether you play heavy metal or bluegrass or jazz, to understand your fretboard, right? Melody, harmony, and rhythm, right? Now, specific to jazz, I think the most important thing is to listen to jazz and love it if you wanna study it. Now, I think many people study it because they think it's hard or something, or they think, you know, but, and which is fine. I think everybody should study because I think understanding harmony in particular, we are a harmonic instrument, the guitar after all. You know, whether they become jazz players or not will, of course, enrich their musicianship. So, I mean, I just think of musicianship is universal. So, yes, learning to read on the instrument. I know no one wants to do it, but you will. It actually is the fastest way to learn your instrument, to know all the notes on it. It's also important in terms of being able to understand music, right? If you can read music, that means you could get a, Char a Charlie Parker Omni book and analyze it and understand, and you could play it. So it opens the door to the world of music and it helps you notate it so that if you have ideas, you can share them with others. So I think that's a number one thing. And so many people are freaked out by it and scared of it, but you know what? Find a good teacher who just helps you work on your reading. And to be honest, you, all you need to commit to is 10 minutes daily to get started and you know, just try it. Cause if somebody said, you know, like, well, the year's going to pass either way. So if you don't work on it at all this year, next year, you still won't be able to read, but if maybe you start working on it by next year, you'll actually be able to read something. So I think that's important, but you know, I came out of actually the William Levitt books, the Berkeley books. In fact, I'm not pushing this book, but it is, we just put out, um, a book called Guitar Theory, which is the history of the Berkeley guitar program, but also what we teach in our final exam. But that comes out of the core of that is really William Levitt. So a modern method for guitar, dry as a bone. There's nothing <laughs> sexy or exciting about it. But if you really want to, if you're, if you really want to learn your fretboard and all your major scale fingerings, I'm, everybody's gone through it. Can testify. Vin? Yes, it's, <laughs> it's thorough. It's thorough. <laughs> nothing if not so, thorough. <laughs> it's That's what I'm saying. If it doesn't have to take up your life, but make it a little part of your life and it'll help you. So, so we have, you know, scales to learn, you know, to learn the fretboard. And that's, we have harmony. So chord voicings, how to voice chords, how to voice lead. How, and also if you're talking about jazz guitar, Rhythm guitar, number one, 
Learn to lay it down. That's probably the note with what we call shell voicings. The root third seventh. Listen to Joe Pass. Listen to, uh, you know, any great, anybody great. Bucky Pizzarella, all of them. To work on steps, just swinging that quarter note and rhythm guitar. That's what I start with everybody. Is that that's the foundation? That's the heartbeat. That quarter note. Learning where that quarter note is, um, but it, then it gives you a way you can play through tunes. You can you can you know one of the things I start with students is this thing of working on good solid rhythm guitar so that you can make your own rhythm tracks. So then you say, hey, I want to learn this song called Ornithology or Blues. It doesn't matter. You can make your own rhythm guitar tracks. And but in doing that, you learn the harmony and you become a great rhythm guitarist. If you become a great rhythm guitarist, you'll be able to get into the contact sport that we were talking about. You'll be able to mm. play with others right away. But also when you're playing rhythm guitar, if I'm playing rhythm guitar on a blues, B flat, E flat, B flat. Okay, when I'm soloing, guess what I'm thinking? B flat, da E flat, zabada, B flat, did boom, ba E flat. They're the same thought process. It's all connected. So I can tell, even some of these students at Berkeley that play, by all means, they're advanced players, but I can tell within a measure whether they're going to be a good rhythm guitarist by the way they play the melody. Is it's connected, that foundation of the quarter notes. And then I, most of the time I know oh, it's going to be a drag when I go to solo because the quarter note's not going to be there for me. So I, that to me is one of the most fundamental things to get together is that that you're developing your feel and your sense of time and then harmonic uh, rhythm. Mm. And then you can start to play tunes. You can start to learn tunes and play with others. That's the thing, isn't it? Because when, when you're at a jam session, probably 90% of your time is playing the rhythm anyway as a guitarist you, you know so so the, the the bar might be a bit lower well obviously no it takes a lot of work to become a great rhythm guitarist but in terms of being able to attend a jam session maybe don't focus so much on the whole soloing thing just keep that to the basics but really make sure your rhythm guitar is rock solid yeah yeah and, it, and it's going to make you a better soloist because a you're going to know I, I mean jazz in particular is a music of syncopated rhythms which means rhythms that are on the upbeat but if i don't know where the downbeat is how do i know where the upbeat is that's what i'm talking about like really locking that down and i can tell that in even some of these quote-unquote advanced students they haven't worked on their quarter note and so their their syncopated rhythms are all over the place they're not in the pocket and grooving so it's always to me it's always going back to that fundamental myself i love to play i could be happy playing rhythm guitar just as much as i could be happy soloing they're they're not separate to me. I don't. They're fun. They're both fun. Very interesting. No, no, that's great advice to make sure you you, you write notes, guys. Who who if you're listening to this podcast right now, because uh, that was a real gem of wisdom right there. So um, uh, let's let's move. Let's let's keep talking a little bit um, about uh, so, some advice you'd give to budding students. Uh, let's 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 now talk specifically about improvisation right so uh you know because that that seems to be one of the big nuts to crack you, you know when it comes to to jazz is to feel confident improvising 
feel prepared and um and you know to to be able to kind of make something meaningful spontaneously like so what advice would you give um to a student let's say you had a student today what advice would you give them in that regard when when you're focusing mainly on improvising well that's hard to say in a in a generic way i mean obviously we're we're talking about a language a very complex language right so the deeper you know, and I always use that parallel, you know, if you wanted to learn French, there's a couple levels like, hey, I'm going to France next week. I need to learn some basics. Hello. How are you? Where's the bathroom? What's for breakfast? Whatever. And I'm probably going to spit them out and it's going to people will look at me like, oh, OK, that's survival skill of the language. But, hey, maybe I want to get deeper inside of there. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to listen. I'm going to, you know, well, first I'm, I'd probably get a teacher. I'd, I'd start to learn more vocabulary, grammar. I'd watch French movies. I'd eat French food. I'd get a French poodle. I'd do anything to just immerse myself in the culture and the language. And then, and then, so then you have that level. Okay, now I go to France and I can get around and I get directions and people understand me, but I can't get into a deep conversation. So it's always this deeper and deeper layers of learning a language. So when do I know the language I've mastered it? I'm dreaming in it. I can tell jokes in it. That's mm. really, or I can get jokes in it, that language, right? Or yeah, I can write, I can, so that's fluency, right? So there's all those levels about how deep into a language do you want to get? Um, so my language now is bebop and contemporary jazz. That I dream in that, I can speak it fluently, but I've started in those little steps. In it. And again, I think there's something for everybody at every level and every stage. You don't have to go in all the way. Maybe you just stick your toe in there and you learn a couple of, what we might call them, some licks, some little phrases. That's cool. It's all good. I say, let everybody come in there and experience it. Yeah, awesome. So I think that's a really interesting slant there, Cheryl, because what, what you're sort of saying there is, you know, obviously we're talking improvisation, but the term might be a bit misleading. It's more like the speaking language musically you know and that's a different slant on it isn't it rather than i've got to think come up with stuff that's never mm -hmm. been done before it's more you're expressing your ideas through the language and that takes training study and as you say maybe if you're starting out a few stock phrases just so you can get by yes i think so and developing your voice through it also you know i mean that's a whole sort of process but you know everybody plays if you go if you go to hear john schofield every night of the week you're going to hear his tendencies everybody has their tendencies but you know in a way what's cool about jazz is you we have that liberty to develop our own unique voice but he's not coming out of nowhere also you know what mm. i mean he transcribed tons of horn players and piano you know like he's his voice is is part of the tradition now, and it comes from the tradition. So I think that's the thing of, of and there's some point I think every player really gets into one player and imitates them and really takes it in that way. And then there's some point sort of like training wheels where they, you know, Bill Frizzell, I think was it was a legend that he learned everything Jim Hall, 
even played the same guitar. And there was one point he just, he, he, had, he took his book and burned it basically. And, you know, Bill Frizzell does not sound like Jim Hall, but his Jim Hall's influence is all over him. Mm. He became his own voice, you know? So I think that's also the beautiful thing about following the tradition at some point you have that liberty to create your own sound moving on so i think we've covered a um a great deal of stuff here cheryl uh, th- this is this has been um th- this takes the cake for me this interview I-, I reckon this is the the uh the the most interesting and informative one we've ever done here at fred oh Mojo. cool so, cool all right so, all right. <laughs> so uh awesome. no it's been great so maybe just a, a, f- a couple more questions if you have some time um so i i guess we might be going over things you've already covered, but even at a pro level, uh, you know, what are the, or, or, you know, regardless of level, maybe we'll just think about what you've seen over your career, especially teaching. What are the biggest mistakes and myths when it comes to learning jazz guitar or or guitar in general? You, you know, like what, what, where do you find people, even at a pro level, wasting their time a lot on things that don't really matter, for example? Have, have you sort of come across anything like that? Wow, that, whew. I don't know. You know what? Maybe comparing yourself to others. You know what I mean? Like, that could just eat you up. I don't think, you know, you know, you have so many great players out there. When you go out, I think um, that could, that could, really throw you that could throw yourself under the bus i guess that that that's the one i could think of wow yeah we're 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 our own worst enemy sometimes isn't it (laughs) absolutely well i mean i i felt my my journey moving to new york was that like you there's that there's so you're so excited there's so much music here and so many music and you go out every night and you hear mike stern then you hear steve cardness and you hear peter bernstein then you like and then you're like oh my god and then you pick up your instrument and you're like but i can't well i can't play like any of them and that again is sort of the thing what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and then you have to search under those like well what do i do who am i Right. So I guess that's maybe what I'm thinking about. Like you go out there and you're like, see all these great players. There's so many players. So finding hopefully that instead of it eating you up, it'll bring you to that place of fine. Well, who am I? What do I do? For me, the way I found myself was through writing and playing with my own band. Because, you know, like you want to play. I would try to play like, you know, repertoire, West Montgomery. And, and then you'd be like, oh. Oh God, I don't sound like Wes. You never will. There's mm. only, there was only one, you know? So, and Wes wasn't trying to sound like anybody else. He was just doing his thing. So I guess finding that that place where you, but for me, it was through writing and, and just kind of building my voice around that. Amazing. Fantastic advice. All, all right. And sort of, I guess following on from that, really, as a as a teacher now, like, and you know, we're we're instructing a lot of enthusiastic players all around the world. So for for us teachers, how do you think we can help our students become the best musicians and jazz players that they can be? What advice would you give to teachers? Yeah, you know, the more and more that I'm around the planet and teaching, 
learning how to practice is the most important skill. And because again, that's universal. But, you know, so I'm talking about fundamentals, posture, relaxation, breathing, technique, like the physicality of playing the instrument and developing that. And also, how do you use your time when you practice? If you can get that worked out, you will be able to make progress. But I think there's so much stuff out there. So many students are overwhelmed by too much stuff. So I think it's being able to sit with a student and help them craft their pathway of what goals are important to what they are doing right now. Because of course, you know, that's gonna change. What you practice, Greg, and what Vin, what you practice and what I practice are all different because we have different weaknesses, we have different goals, we have different things going on. So our students do too. So I think it's a matter of being able to connect with them and zero in on that and helping them it's kind of like teach a man how to fish, but if you can teach them these things, but definitely the fundamentals of the physicality of practice and then the practicality of planning practice time for the best results. Yeah, uh, I've, got a, I've got a mentor of mine that often talks about signal versus noise. You know, there's mm. so much noise out there, but where's the signal? Where's the essential bits? Uh, because mm. especially nowadays, there's a plethora of all sorts of courses and videos and blog posts. Like you can go anywhere you like and, and find a different opinion, a different approach, and they're probably all great. But what's the real key part? So I think having a really uh, clear guide, like, like someone like yourself, Cheryl, that can really guide students through the noise and find the signal, uh, really important, I think. Well, so well I would say that, just try to, try to be brief, but I find often, yeah, there's a thing like a collector mentality and people are collecting, but they can't actually sit down and play through a whole tune. So I'm like, with all of them, I'm like, it's not what you're doing, it's how you're doing it. You know, they kind of have, they don't have their left hand or whatever. It's not speaking. The notes aren't speaking. Their posture, they're, they're, they're not breathing. I'm like, hey, let's work on playing this really well mm. and building a foundation. Like in terms of like even that stuff, like going back to your rhythm guitar and just accomplishing that and build from that. And don't worry about collecting all the things, you know, just work on. Play, or even if it's like working on your technique, like playing a scale with, you know, nice and legato and, and connected and your time's good. That's an accomplishment. Mm. You've accomplished something. <laughs> I think there's, a, there's an old um, kind of uh, proverb uh, from India, I think, where, you know, like imagine you had a concrete block, right? And then you, you get a big bucket of water and you just pour the whole bucket of water on top of the block and just, the water just splashes off everywhere. But let's say you just have a little drip just kind of mm. going one at a time onto the block. Mm. Over time, eventually, it'll actually make a hole through the rock, you know, but, but splashing a whole bunch of water on top won't do much, you know. That's great. Oh, I love that. I'm stealing that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no worries. <laughs> it was a, just, just on that topic as well, um, when we interviewed Mark Whitfield, uh, he, when he said in his early days, this is something that really influenced me that when, when he was learning back in the day, uh, when he, when he was younger, all he had was a couple of jazz albums on the shelf. That was it. That was his complete kind of learning pathway. 
but he learned everything about those albums. He 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 went through the recordings until you know the the, the records were nearly sort of worn out, you know, and 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 really went deep on just that one thing. And he finds these mm. days, as you're saying, there's just there's the collective vibe. There's just too much out there. People people are accumulating rather than internalizing. Mm. Yeah, uh, that's great. Uh, so Cheryl, uh, you know, before we wrap up, is there anything you'd like to share with our audience in terms of, um, you know, uh, recordings or sure. Um, uh, sure. Uh, any programs or, or anything like that that you'd like to talk sure. about? Or... Well, I'll tell you one thing. This just came out. It's actual vinyl and it's uh, my band, my quartet with Harvey S and Neil Smith and Mickey Hayama. So it's available on vinyl and digital download via me so i'm i'm kind of trying to take back the ownership of my art right so you can get it on my web page but you can get it for free on youtube and so check it out because it's a series of each cut and then kind of the next video is story about it kind of a lesson or maybe story about how did we record this how did we think of it so that's on my YouTube. So you can, you can hear the whole thing and, and learn about the thing on my YouTube page, which is just Cheryl Bailey. Um, I do have many courses available through Truefire and my own artist channel there. It's a subscriber-based thing. And you can study with me, private lessons. It's kind of the only way that I'm teaching these days. Um, so Truefire, I've worked with them many years. I, I have only glowing things to say about them as a business and an educational platform. And also I have stuff with Mike's master classes and Jazz Guitar Society. There's a giant steps course that I think is pretty cool. And uh, if you're in Boston, stop by 921 Boylston Street, fourth floor, say hi to us at the guitar <laughs> department and uh, or anywhere that I might be playing. So those are the main things that are going. Also, I, I have a record. I started working with the great Jerry Berganzi tenor player in Boston. So that was sort of a cool thing about starting to be in Boston. So I have a record with him, uh, his record coming out in October, which was really a joy to record with him. I mean, um, and we kind of have a new project coming out. I don't know when it's going to come out. It's called Taurus Power that features Jerry. But, but anyway, Jerry's record will be out in October. So. <laughs> Let's listen to a recording uh, of uh, one of Cheryl's albums now. This one's um, called Walk Up, and it's from the album Homage um, from, uh, from Cheryl Bailey with her band SBQ. So uh, let's roll the track, and um, yeah, I'm really excited to listen.
So that was Walk Up by Cheryl Bailey and the band SBQ. What a fantastic um, uh, chance that we've had today to talk with one of the great luminaries of jazz guitar and jazz guitar education, Cheryl Bailey. It's been fantastic uh, having you join us today on today's show. Um, so, uh, yeah, Cheryl, uh, any final advice or, or, uh, or uh, how would you like to close off today's session? Yes, I mean, if you're a student of the music, which we all are, and I still am, those that ask the most questions get the most answers. Fantastic. All right. I'm, I'm going to definitely be uh, sitting on a mountaintop today, uh, meditating on that one for sure. So uh, uh, anyway, well, th thank you very much, Cheryl. And thank you for joining me today, Vin. Uh, this is Greg from the Fret Dojo podcast, and we'll look forward to seeing you in another episode soon. Thanks for listening. For lessons, resources, and free stuff to take your guitar playing to the next level, visit www.fretdojo.com.